Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Hey, it is good to be here tonight down at the Block KC Underground, as I like to call it. Uh, if you've got a copy of God's Word, open up to Genesis 20. Genesis, first book of the Bible, if you need help finding it. Very first book, just go 20 chapters in, you're going to find it right there. As you flip and you find your way in the Bible, I want to tell you guys an often repeated story that comes uh, up very often in the Swearingen household. The year is 1995. I'm one years old. My sister has just turned five, my older sister, Tori. Uh, something you need to know about Tori, she's very orderly. She loves to create and arrange and, and order things together. And she had put together the perfect toy plastic hamburger. I mean, she carefully, delicately arranged the lettuce, the tomato, the cheese, all on top of this plastic patty. She organized it into a nice-looking meal. She set it on a metal tray, and she was going to take it in to my parents and serve them a very thought-through, heartfelt, home-cooked meal. Uh, I, on the other hand, was very chaotic and crazy as a child. You can see where this is going. I just run in like the little Tasmanian devil that I was, and I just walk up to the tray and just, bam, smash the burger right off the tray, knock the tray out of her hands, and I just start cackling maniacally, just like a, a, a little crazy person. My sister is so overcame with anger, she takes the tray, raises it up over her head, and smashes me on top of the head with a metal tray at one years old. <laughs> then she hands the tray to me. As my, I start screaming, I'm crying, my parents run in the room. Tori, what happened? He hit himself on the head with the tray. <laughs> I know, right? You younger siblings, you understand my pain right now. Later on that night, uh, my parents were walking by my sister's room, and they just hear this sobbing, just weeping at the top of her lungs. They walk in, they say, Tori, Tori, what's going on? I told a lie. She was distraught, and her dishonesty actually gave way to integrity, and she confessed. Uh, it's a funny story. I don't think I have any permanent brain damage. Um, I don't have any permanent brain damage, so we'll, say, we'll clarify that. Uh, and I wish I could say that deceit stopped there in the swear engine household. I really do. And I wish I could say it was my sister. But unfortunately, I actually grew up being an incredibly deceitful and dishonest child. I learned that when I was a little kid, if I was scared of consequences or if I wanted to get my way, I could lie and bend the truth to get whatever I wanted. And I would begin to twist reality or create half-truths. And it was so bad that I actually got my cousins or my friends in trouble multiple times. It got so bad that to the point where I was about 10 or 12 years old, my mom told me, Nick, I can't even trust you and what you say anymore. And I began to damage all my relationships and the trust with my family members. I was living in deceit, and it damaged my integrity. And the reason I bring this up is because lying is incredibly dangerous and harmful to so many people, yet it is one of the most respectable sins in the lives of young professionals. And what do I mean by respectable sin? I mean, we kind of treat it sometimes like it's not a big deal, right? Like if someone asks you a hard question, well, you, you kind of need to lie, right? To like save face. 
Man, like you kind of need to just bend the truth a little bit to make yourself look good, right? And we begin to say, man, dishonesty, it's this, it's this thing that doesn't really matter. But whether it's lying to friends because you don't really want to hang out with them or extra time on hours worked, maybe you're trying to win influence by flattering people, maybe you're clearly choosing to distort the truth to, for personal gain, lying has victims. The issue is, though, right, we're not little kids anymore. We're grown-ups. And when you're a little kid, what happens when you get caught in a lie? You, you, you get grounded, you get sent to time out, you get a spanking. But we don't have parents anymore checking if we're telling the truth. We don't have parents that can see very clearly through the deceit of their kids each and every day. Which means that the stakes are so much higher. Because lying as a little kid, right, it can cost you time with your favorite toy. Lying at your job can cost you your professional career. Lying in your friendships can cost you connections to those people for the rest of your life. Lying in a relationship can cost you breakups, it can cost you divorce, and it can cost you lifelong heartbreak. The situation could not be more grave as it comes to honesty versus integrity because lying will always cost you a sound and clear conscience. It will always cost you the ability to lay your head on the pillow at night and sleep well, knowing that you live in integrity. Integrity, on the other hand, contrast it with that. Integrity is living a life of honesty and upright character. And it's always gonna get you further, right? It is always gonna get you further in the long run, whether it's professionally, whether it's relationally, whatever category it is, integrity in the long run will always be worth it. And it doesn't come at the cost of a guilty conscience. It comes at the cost of a, being able to have a good night's sleep. And so tonight, we're gonna to talk about dishonesty versus integrity. And we're gonna be looking at the story of Abraham and King Abimelech in Genesis 20. And we're gonna see two very contrasting pictures of a deceitful man and a man of integrity. And, and my prayer is that each of us would grow as men and women who are committed to the truth, no matter what it might cost us. Because we see both the trap of deceit but also the value of an honest life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you knowing that your word is truth. God, knowing that you are not a God who can lie. And so God, we need your word to work on our hearts tonight. God, we need your word to convict us of sin, to show us the, the blessing of living a righteous life through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if there's anyone in the room tonight who's just investigating a relationship with you, God, would you begin to help them make sense of the world as you say it is? God, for those of us who are followers of Christ, God, would we have a sensitive heart and let your Holy Spirit be working in us, God, convicting us and growing our character so that we can be men and women of integrity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, a little bit of context to Genesis 20. Abraham is a man who's been chosen by God to be the predecessor or the ancestor of all the people of Israel, the entire nation. And he's also the spiritual ancestor of every single Christian through faith in Jesus Christ. And God calls him to leave his home with his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and they are to travel all the way from modern-day Iraq all the way to modern-day Israel, and they're going to live in a land that they don't own. They're going to be shepherds. They're going to live in tents, and they're going to journey around this region of what would become Israel today as God grows the family, as God builds wealth in their lives, as, as God cultivates uh, faith in their lives. So they've come and they've rest in the area of Gerar, and that's where we're going to start our story in Genesis 20, verse 1 and 2. 
From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned or rested in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. Weird thing to say. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Right, so we kind of look at this and we're like, man, that's weird. Why would you say your wife is your sister? That, that's a weird thing to say. In case you didn't know, that's a weird thing to say. That's for free for you all. Uh, Abraham lies about his wife, Sarah. And Abimelech, he sees this beautiful woman and he wants to marry her. How do we know that he wants to marry her? Because when it says that he sent and took Sarah, the Hebrew words used are the term for someone taking a wife. So he sees this beautiful woman and Abraham says, no, 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 she's single. She's just my sister. And Abimelech says, oh, I would love to marry her. And see, in those days, if a man wanted to marry a woman in order to protect the women, because women didn't have a ton of rights in that culture, they would have to go to a father or a brother and ask for permission to marry the woman. And the the man or the, the father or the brother could put together a contract, and they could outline any number of things that they wanted this man to do in order to ensure that he was going to look after and protect their sister or their daughter. Oftentimes, there was sums of money that was exchanged because they were trying to make sure, do you have the financial means to take care of this woman? Which, by the way, fellas, today, if you want to get married, you got to be able to provide. That one's also for free. And Abimelech, for him to send and take Sarah, what we don't really see, but what we can understand is that he actually had to go to Abraham and ask for Sarah's hand in marriage. Which means that Abraham's lie is not just an impassing, oh, yeah, yeah, she's my sister. Oh, no, 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 we're just related. It means that Abimelech came into Abraham's tent. Abraham looked him in the eye and signed a contract that said, yeah, you can marry my wife. He signs away his own wife to another man. Probably has received money for it. And then he sends her home with someone else. This is not a little lie. This is pure evil deceit. Abraham betrays his own marriage covenant and his wife of 40 years at least. 40 years of marriage they've been together. And not only that, but God has promised through Abraham and Sarah, they're going to have a son. They haven't had this son yet. And this son is going to bless every nation on earth through his descendants and their descendants and their descendants. And Abraham just lies that promise right away. Naturally, God has to do something about this because this plays into God's plan for redeeming and saving humanity. And God's plans can't be thwarted. They can't be stopped. And so we see God spring quickly into action in verse three. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, which means they're not married. They haven't consummated the marriage necessarily. And he says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? Did she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Man, what a response. You see, God is clearly testing Abimelech in this instance. And Abimelech, this Philistine king, pagan king, shows himself to be a man of integrity. Which is pretty interesting, right? Because he's not God's chosen man in this story. Who's the chosen man who's been called to go and bless all the nations through his family? That's Abraham. 
But who's the liar and who's the man of honesty? Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. Listen to this, don't miss this. It was I who kept you from sinning against her. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Point number one, if you're taking notes, our integrity comes from dependence on God. Abimelech says, God, I'm innocent. I have integrity. They lied to me. They were deceiving me. And God, after testing this man, says, I know. And I've actually been protecting you from their lies and kept you from sin. Block KC, do you know this tonight? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, your integrity comes from God. It comes from God and God alone. For any of us to do anything good, it only comes from the source of all good in the world, who is God Almighty. If you're wondering, how is that possible? I feel like I make some good choices. God created the moral code that he put in your heart that allows you to distinguish between good and evil. God gave us the blessing of a conscience that we might stop from hurting ourselves or other people because we know and recognize this is bad, this is wrong. God is the one who sovereignly orchestrates situations to keep us oftentimes from having greater regrets, greater consequences, greater sin in life. And so do we have a a part to play? Sure, but the Bible says all mankind has sin and we naturally desire evil. But listen to this, despite that, despite our innate desire to do wrong, listen to what God says in Psalm 145, eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. You see this idea of God's common grace clear throughout in the entire scriptures that God is protecting humanity at large out of his goodness and his love towards us. Because Abimelech would have stumbled straight into sleeping with a married woman because of Abraham and Sarah's lies. He would have gone straight into that. If y'all weren't here for Luke's talk on lust, I would highly encourage you, check it out on Spotify. Needless to say, sexual sin has some pretty serious consequences, to say the least. Abimelech's name is actually derived from a pagan false god, Molech. And yet God looks at this man who probably does not know him, probably has been worshiping idols, And he says, I'm gonna be gracious to you and I'm gonna protect you. Why? So that you can worship me. And we actually get this picture. We see Abimelech show up twice more after this story. Both times Abimelech comes, he recognizes the goodness of God, calls God good and acts in integrity. Man, I I have no idea if Abimelech has saving faith. We don't really get to know that. But it's clear, God loves this man and he is working in this man's heart. God is pursuing Abimelech and drawing him to himself through these actions. But what does this mean for us, though? Before we talk about the danger of dishonesty, all the ways that it's just so damaging, let me tell you this. If you, let's fly. Wow, that got me. If you want to have a life of integrity, you go to the God of the Bible, and here's what you do. Plead with him to keep you walking in integrity. Because God cares about integrity because he is a God of truth. Integrity is a commitment to living in God's reality. Dishonesty seeks to distort God's truth. And God knows the value of truth and God is a God of truth. The Bible literally says God is not a man that he could lie or change his mind. 
And since God can do this, and in order to our, maintain our integrity, we need to stay close to the source of truth. We need to stay close to the source of the person who can protect us. Because here's the deal, your integrity will be tested. Your integrity will be tested at work. Your integrity will be tested in your relationships. Your integrity will be tested in your friendships. Just a couple of weeks after I started following Christ, my freshman year of college, I was driving to campus with one of my friends. And he was going to take a test and I was going to study. And he knew that I was a Christian now and he kind of looked at me and got this weird look in my eye, or in his eye. And uh, he looked at me and said, hey, Smarsh, I don't really want to take this test. If I paid you $1,000, would you go and take it for me? And I kind of start laughing. I'm like, man, you're joking. He pulls out an envelope, pulls out $1,000 in cash and puts it on my lap. He says, hey, look, it's a big lecture hall. All you got to do, you got to go in, write my name down. I know you can ace the test. You, you, you just take the test for me. This $1,000 is yours. And if you don't know my story, I, I spent, before I was a believer, my entire life savings on materialism, on parties, on food, whatever I wanted to. And so I needed money. I was very, very short of money at this point in my life. And $1,000 in cash is a lot of money. But thankfully, I had been memorizing this verse, Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I realized, man, the old Nick probably would have said yes to something like this. The old Nick probably would have jumped at a chance to make $1,000 on an easy biology test. But that Nick is dead. He doesn't exist anymore. Why? Because Christ's life was within me now. And I had a new life and I had a new heart. And I began to realize, man, through Christ's power, I can live a life of integrity. Not by anything I could do, but because Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And so I was able to pick the cash back and say, no, man, I'm not interested. I don't want your money. We are going to be tempted with the temptation to deceive and lie. The consequences are only going to become greater and greater, but our integrity is going to be tested. And here's the deal. How closely you stick to Jesus will determine how your integrity continues to go. If you pray each and every day and you humbly ask God, God, protect me, uphold my integrity. God, I need you each and every single day. I can't do this by myself, God. Naturally, I'm prone to sin. God promises that he's gonna keep us from temptation. He always gives us a way out. He always gives us a way out. He's faithful. And we see this in the life of Abimelech. God looks at Abimelech and he thinks, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna look after you. I'm gonna uphold your integrity. And we see how this takes place in verse seven. God says, now then return the man's wife for he's a prophet so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. What happens here? God now gives Abimelech a choice. He says, I've been protecting you and I wanna provide you a choice for obedience. Will you depend on me? Will you rely on me and seek my blessing through this man? Or will you choose to commit adultery? And God says, I'm a just God. I'm going to punish adultery. If you sleep with this man's wife, I'm going to punish sin. But he's, he gives him the chance. He says, I want you to obey. And Abimelech actually ends up responding favorably. God rescues Abimelech. But now we have to deal with Abraham's lies, right? We've talked about integrity. Now we've got to talk about dishonesty. 
Verse eight continues, so Abimelech rose early in the morning, instant obedience. He wakes up, dream by night, rises up right away. He's like, man, we gotta get, we gotta get going on this. Calls all his servants, told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Listen to this. You have done things to me that ought not be done. The man who previously has not known God gives a pretty sharp rebuke to God's chosen man. What a stinging question. What did you see? Why did you do this to us? What did I do to you? It says, you've lied against me. You've brought this great sin against me and my people. Point number two, dishonesty is evil and has many victims. Abimelech welcomed Abraham into his land. Abimelech showed himself to be a man of character in this instance. And Abraham lied to his face. He brought potential disaster, not only upon Abimelech, but upon all of King Abimelech's people. And Abraham doesn't even answer. Which, because what do you say to that? You can't answer for that kind of betrayal. You can't say anything in the face of being caught in a lie. Abimelech wants to know, though, what made you do this? What made you decide to lie to me? Listen to this. Verse 10, Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Listen to this right here. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. He looks at these people and assumes the worst about them. He looks at them and assumes you're gonna be murderers and adulterers. You're gonna commit adultery. And so what does he do? Rather than try to protect his wife, rather than stand up and, and honor the marriage covenant, he says, Sarah, I need you to lie. I'm gonna lie and we're just gonna figure it out. Just to save his own skin. And then we see him try to justify himself a little bit. Heads up, this part is a little weird to modern readers. Uh, verse 12. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come, say of me, he's my brother. So Sarah is either his half-sister, there's speculation that she could be his adopted cousin-sister type of thing, either way, not prescriptive here. God is not saying marry sisters or cousins, God actually forbids that in the Bible. I wanna be very clear on that. We can move that aside now. Different time, not good, bad, clear. <laughs> but moving all that aside, what is Abraham doing here? He's telling what we call a white lie. He justifies it. He's like, well, it's kind of true. Like, she is also my sister. Like, I mean, I, I didn't fully lie to you, Abimelech. It was partially true. And then he kind of starts to shift the blame on God. He's like, well, God actually caused me to leave my home. And when, when he did that, I was kind of afraid. And so then I, I told Sarah, hey, every place we go to, you got to say that you're my sister. We'll leave out the part about us being married. And we're just going to kind of figure it out. I told my wife to lie to other people because God made me. You see, Abraham 
he kind of justifies himself. And it's easy to look at this story and think, man, what a fool, right? That's incredibly foolish. But we have to examine our own lives. We have to ask ourselves, how is this me? Which of us in the room tonight is not guilty of lying? I have a pretty strong suspicion that every single one of us in the room tonight are guilty of being a liar in some way, shape, or form. And so we have to examine this sin and we have to be on guard and be ready to seek God to protect us with integrity. Here's the issue with deceit. A couple issues that we see with deceit, right? Deceit believes the worst about others. Deceit is always selfish. I think we have a slide for this maybe. Deceit distorts and twists the truth. Deceit causes others to sin, and deceit reveals a lack of trust in God. And with the rest of our time, we're going to quickly break down these for some practical applications. How does this apply to being a young professional in today's world? First of all, dishonesty believes the worst about others, right? Abraham looked at Abimelech and his people and thought, killers, bunch of killers, not the band, the the bad kind, murderers. Are you guys too young for killer's references? I'm not that old. I'm 29. And you might not look at people and think that they're murderers, but how often do we do this? Think if you've ever had this thought. My boss doesn't really care about me, so I need to tweak my work hours a little bit. I need to use a sick day maybe a way that it shouldn't be used. I need to stretch the truth of my job because I need to look out for myself and my boss probably isn't going to care. And we don't even give him the chance to look out for me. What about this? My friends don't really understand that I just need a break. I need some me time. I need some rest time. So I'm just going to lie and kind of create something to say I'm busy because I just don't really want to hang out with them. And I want to save face. You're robbing them of an opportunity to love you. How about this? I have to tell a couple little lies to make this person interested in me so that they might go on a date with me, so that they might like me. Otherwise, they're probably not going to love or accept me. I might exclude the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus just to get a date with someone else. Otherwise, they won't like me. And, and I need to be liked. I need to be control, in control of my image. I need to be in control of how other people perceive me. And from my experience, y'all, people value and respect integrity over dishonesty 10 times out of 10. We need to believe the best about other people, though, regardless of what they expect. The Bible tells us if you are a follower of Jesus, you are told to love people. This is what love does. Love believes all things, hopes all things, trusts all things, and bears all things. And we are called, we're called to assume the best in people. We're called to look at someone and think, I believe that when I give you the truth, you're going to use it in a good way. I believe that when I tell you this thing about me, you're going to respond in a favorable way. And even when they don't, we forgive them and we allow them the opportunity to build trust back up slowly. But we never respond with deceit. We never respond with lying because we believe the best. Think about what integrity does. Integrity 
looks at people and says, I'm going to choose to trust you with the truth. But dishonesty steals the chance to be trusted, steals the chance for them to show you some good. Dishonesty, next, is also always selfish. Abraham made his wife lie to save his own skin. For all men and women in the room tonight, this should be a clear red flag. You do not want to date or marry someone who's a compulsive liar. You do not want to do that. Why? Because they've proven that they are willing to change the truth for their own gain. They're going to twist reality to fit their needs. Do you know that when we lie, we are actively choosing to harm other people for our benefit? Listen to this, Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Victims can be translated here as also oppressing or crushing. If you are lying, you are choosing to crush, oppress someone else for your own benefit. If you're flattering someone, you to puff them up so that you can be liked more, you are choosing to actively lead them towards ruin. Ruin. When we lie to get out of things that we've committed to for our own benefit, even if the other person never finds out, we've still wronged them. We've still done evil to them. Think about what integrity does, though, on the alternative. Integrity, it's honest even when it's self-sacrificial. Right? It's like, man, this doesn't really benefit me to tell the truth right now, but I'm going to be selfless because I care about other people more than myself. Because I love other people and I believe that they deserve to have the truth. I believe that they deserve to have a right to hear an unedited story of reality. Even when it hurts my image or reputation, we tell the truth. Right? And, and there's a freedom in that because we don't have to decide, who am I going to be today? What version of reality do I need to pull out from the memory banks of my mind? Because I can just say, man, this is just what happened. This is what's true. There's a freedom in that. We just get to do what we said we'd do, and we get to be who we actually are. It's freeing. It's, it's living a life of integrity. Next, dishonesty distorts and twists the truth. Abraham, he tells a white lie, right? He just slightly edits it. How often do we do that? Well, these numbers at work, they're, they're mostly true. I just bumped a couple up to make the quarterly numbers look better. That story about my round of golf, it was mostly true. It was just a couple strokes off. These fun memories that I'm secretly boasting in so that you think I'm really fun and popular, like they're mostly true, but I, I might have added a couple things creative license, sometimes we call it. Do you know who invented the white lie? Satan in the Garden of Eden. The devil himself chose to deceive Eve with a white lie. He took God's good command and just slightly tweaked it so that he could trick Eve into sinning and Adam into sinning and plunge the world into sin, death, and darkness. And so when we allow white lies, when we twist the truth, we are emulating the devil himself. We're saying, God, I don't really care about your truth. I'm going to make what you say wrong so that I can get what I want. And the end of this is always destruction because Satan's end is always destruction. The path leads to destruction. Proverbs 21.6 says this. says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue. It's a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. It doesn't last. 
No matter what we think we can gain by telling little white lies, it's gonna go away. God is a God of truth. He's going to uphold the truth. And it says it's a snare of death because then you start telling lies and you start weaving a web and then your foot gets caught in the web and you get caught in a lie and your whole life can be discredited. On the other end though, what does integrity do? Integrity is a commitment to being true in all circumstances. Integrity is when you share what actually happened, not what you wanted to have happen. And integrity is a commitment to living in reality and it leads to life. This man on the screen is the probably best golfer in the entire history of the world. Tiger Woods is phenomenally talented as a golfer. He has won so many different tournaments, so many different rounds of golf that he will probably continue to go down as one of the best, if not the best. But what happened to Tiger Woods? It was found out over a period of multiple years, he had had at least 10, 10 times that he had gone and committed adultery, 10 times that he had had an affair. And he got into substance abuse. And when they asked him about it in a press conference, he said, I lied to other people. I lied to people that I loved. I lied to myself. Tiger Woods twisted reality so much that he couldn't even see what was real anymore. He created a world that he lived in where he thought, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's very possible to sear our consciences. And that's a dangerous thing when you don't live in reality. That's where people get hurt. That's where you have regrets. Now, can Tiger Woods come back from that? Do I believe that if Tiger Woods would turn to Christ and repent, God would forgive him? Absolutely. Do I believe that he's gonna be able to work his way back in golf? Absolutely. But are there consequences that will forever scar his family as a result of his actions and his lies? Absolutely. Integrity doesn't do that though. Integrity commits to living in the truth. Dishonesty, it also causes others to sin. Abraham leads Sarah to lie as well, causes Abimelech to live in a fantasy land. He creates a false reality out of lies. The tragic thing about this, in Genesis 12, Abraham has done the exact same thing. Said the exact same thing to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Said, she's my sister. Gets in trouble the exact same way. Abraham's son Isaac, in Genesis 26, does the exact same thing. To who? King Abimelech. Where do you think he learned it? His dad. He leads his family into sin. He blazes a trail. It's easy for them to tarnish their integrity. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you have parents who have not lived a God-honoring life, that does not have to be your lot in life. But you know that you are going to be way more prone to following in their footsteps as a result of their sin and their actions. Finally, dishonesty reveals a lack of trust in God. Abraham had a promise from God that God would make him as numerous as the stars in the sky through Sarah, through a son that would be born to Sarah that he did not have yet. And in that moment, Abraham feared for his life. He said, There's, I just don't see how God could work this out. And so he chose to take matters into his own hands. Integrity is scary. It is. There's a lot of fears in this life. You got fears of losing your job. You got fears of, am I going to end up with someone in marriage? Am I going to have friends? Am I going to have money? Am I going to be provided for? 
And you might have to share truth that doesn't reflect on you well, and it might not even be your fault. It might have been nothing that you did wrong. But the question is in that moment, do we trust God to be bigger than our circumstances? Do we trust that God loves us more than we do, than we love ourselves? God is so much bigger than our situations. And lying, it's only gonna create victims. God is only going to protect those he loves. And sometimes we tell the truth and it makes life harder. But we can be so confident God is working that together for our good. We can be so confident if we love God, if we have a relationship with Jesus, he promises to do that. God is a good God. He says he's even good to all people. See, here's the deal. Integrity is a lot like going to the gym, right? It's a lot like running. It's a lot like working out. It's not really initially fun when you get into it, right? It does not seem fun in the moment. You're actively doing something that does not feel good. In fact, you might even look bad in the eyes of people around you. They might look at you and think, you have no clue what you're doing. You have not been to the gym in a long time. What are you doing here? You look silly. And you're going to be tired, and you might have to swallow some pride. But in the long run, what happens? You begin to walk in greater health. In the long run, if you're a person of discipline, people look at that, and they respect that. They think, man, that person's getting after it. Even if they didn't, weren't raised knowing how to work out, even if they weren't raised knowing how to run, they're getting after it. They're putting in the work. They're living a respectable life. Integrity is the same way. It's not always initially enjoyable, right? It's not always initially easy to just not tell a lie, to bail ourselves out. But when you're committed over the long haul to telling the truth, what happens, right? In some moments, judgmental people might look down on you. And that's just something we have to entrust to God. We have to say, God, I'm just going to hand that over to you. You might appear incompetent in a situation where you could have lied to build up your reputation, but instead you asked humbly, I need you to show me how to do this because I just don't know. You might have to do something that doesn't initially benefit you, but if you stay committed to integrity, you ask God repeatedly, keep me honest, God. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. You'll have a clean conscience. And you'll be a person of honesty and integrity. And people will respect that. People will know that you're someone who keeps their word. People will know that you're someone that when you say something, that man or woman can take it to the bank. It's such a blessing to live that way without having to trick or lie or deceive. There's always great value and integrity before God and others. But what happens then? We know that integrity is profitable. What happens when you put profit off of dishonesty? Because Genesis 20, it ends with Abimelech giving Abraham and Sarah a great gift of all kinds of sheep and livestock, workers, money, and it's a sign of Sarah's innocence. And he invites them, remain in the land, stay wherever you want. Abraham prays to God, God heals Abimelech's household, he had stopped people from being able to have babies because of Abraham's lies. And we can look at this story and kind of think, that seems so backwards. Why does Abraham get blessed because of his dishonesty? As I was studying for this talk, I came across Proverbs 20:17. Listen to this. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. See, I don't really think Abraham enjoyed those possessions very much. It might have been sweet in the moment to think, wow, look at all these cows. Look at all this sheep. Maybe he's into that. I don't know. 
But every time he looks at that, he's reminded of his lack of integrity. Every time he sees them, he's reminded, I betrayed my wife to get these things. And he gets that dry feeling in his mouth. He gets that pit in his stomach. His mouth feels chalky. It feels like he's chewing on dirty, dusty gravel. Some of you in the room tonight, you might be feeling that way right now. You're thinking of one lie or a couple lies, maybe even a lifetime of lies that you've been spreading for your own profit and gain. And you haven't been trusting God. And it's been sweet at times. You've paid off from it, but right now you feel like you're chewing on gravel. Maybe some people in this room tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been lying your entire life saying, I'm a Christian, when you know you've never submitted your life to Christ. At any rate, the question is, where do we go for a clean conscience? Am I doomed to a lifetime of chewing on gravel? First, I would encourage you, consider going to anyone you've lied to and asking for forgiveness if God leads you to do this. You've, you've made victims by your dishonesty. This is something that I, I had to do and I had to wrestle with and it was really painful. But there's a first, uh, a greater, more important step than that. There's good news for a guilty conscience, and here it is. Good news for a liar like me. 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 1, it gives us the message of this good news. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, listen to this, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Listen to this right here. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's a lot of words, but let me tell you this right here. We do not need to deceive ourselves to have a clear conscience. We don't need to make God a liar to make ourselves out to be self-righteous. We don't need to walk in darkness when we say that we're living in integrity. What we can do is we can take all of our regrets, all of our lifetime of lies, and we take them to God and we say, God, I'm sorry. And we confess them to God. And when it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all from unrighteousness. I was reading this this morning. In Psalm 51, it says he blots out our transgressions. It's as if they never happened. He takes them as far as the east is from the west. And you can be made clean. And you can have a clean conscience. And then even if you tell another lie, it says even if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, because it's not we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And if you have been walking in darkness and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, or you're a follower of Jesus and you've told one lie recently that's really weighing on you, the good news, if you confess your sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you. Why? Because Jesus Christ alone is righteous. And we cling to him as we walk in integrity. We're actually gonna have a silent time of prayer while the band starts coming up. And I would encourage you, go to God and, and just do whatever business you have with God. 
Just bow your head, and it might feel weird. You might not have ever done something like this before, but I would just encourage you, ask God, God, is there any area of dishonesty in my life? And, and maybe you can't think of any, and I would just encourage you, plead with God to uphold your integrity. This is a, such a great room of people. I'm so thankful for y'all, but let's just take this time. Let's have some silent time of prayer, and then I'll pray, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, I, I, just, I pray that tonight God would... One, would we just praise you for being a God who upholds our integrity? God, I don't, I don't deserve that. But I'm so thankful for the ways that you protect me. You protect each and every single person in this room. You are such a good God, and I, I see you working in so many ways. God, not just in my own life, but God, in so many stories that are represented by the people here today. And God, I pray if there is any dishonest way within any of us, God, would you convict us of sin, but God, would you remind us that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? God, would we never feel like there's no hope? God, would we never feel like there's no chance for a clean conscience? There's no hope for reconciliation with you or others because we know that you are a powerful God. We know that you live the perfect life that we never could live. And God, I pray that for the person who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, would you please... God, help them to see, God, that not only can through you they tell the truth, but you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. And God, for each and every one of us, please uphold our integrity. Don't let us be put to shame. Keep our feet from the net. It's so hard to live an upright life in this world as young professionals, but we serve a God who is so much greater than the world. We pray all this through your son's holy and righteous name, Jesus. Amen.